Sunday. This trip will be completely about me and Desmond. Desmond Reigns, the character from my books. She wrote the man of her dreams. Maybe you're more real than I thought. Into the story of her life. Meet the new owner of the B&B, my son. I have to take this in my room. Your phone didn't ring. Hi! Do you think this is like a sign from the universe? Ali Stroker, Daniel DiTomaso. You open the door to my heart. Christmas Ever After premieres Sunday at 8. Part of It's a Wonderful Lifetime. 24-7 holiday movies all season long. And there you have it, folks. That is the final movie of 2020. Stocking Stuffer series, Christmas Ever After. <sighs> yeah, so uh, as you can probably see by the timestamp that it is January 3rd or so when I'm recording this, and, you know, the holidays are over. Uh, you know, depending. There are still some holiday hijinks happening, depending on where you are and what you celebrate. Uh, but, you know, the season has ended, and why did I wait so long to get the last episode out? Well, you know, busy life, stuff like that. But also, it was really hard to muster the enthusiasm for this one, because I didn't... It wasn't that I didn't love it. It wasn't that I didn't like it. It was just that it was kind of blah. Uh, but I was committed to this one for a couple of reasons that we're going to go through. And just to give you a quick rundown of this episode, I will talk about Christmas Ever After. And then I will do a quick recap of the best and worst of the year of these 14 movies that were covered in 2020. So, Christmas Ever After. Uh, you heard it. Um, I mean, you kind of got most of it from that. But let me mention a few reasons why I wanted to cover it. So early on when all of the how is Hallmark Lifetime everybody else going to handle shooting Christmas movies in a COVID world, most of the answers were, well, they've made some movies before. Uh, you know, they'll do the whatever measures have to get take place and I really was hoping that they would just do one on zoom and you'd have to figure out whether they did it it does not look like anybody did it but still uh Christmas Ever After was the I think the only one that kind of publicly showed how they did it which is they used um they used a lot of CGI and a lot of plexiglass so that I mean there are scenes when you're watching this movie you can see if you're looking closely of like yeah the characters do seem to be standing a little far away from each other and a lot of the scenes where you have maybe even if they're not romantic scenes just two characters in the same shot they do seem to be facing different directions which is responsible and I am thankful to see uh but there are and there are pictures online I'll try to find some for this episode where you can see like the kissing scenes there's just a piece of plexiglass between the two actors so that's interesting I thought boy was I wrong because this movie really isn't interesting which is a shame because it has some interesting things going on um another reason I picked it was um again as we know I did Lifetime this year I didn't do any Hallmark uh I saw the name Ali Stroker and I got excited so Ali Stroker got uh kind of her foot into Hollywood back from the days of the Glee project so I don't know if anybody remembers um Glee was a thing for many years as a TV show on Fox I feel very old saying this but I don't know if people I have a feeling like this is going to be such a footnote in history one day um but some of you might not know I started podcasting with Glee I used to do a podcast called Glee Cast with my good friend Erica and so we like were really into Glee for a while and we didn't we weren't super fans because we had a lot of issues with it and like anything called it out constantly um but one thing I really did enjoy was at its height of fame Glee had a reality off reality tv offshoot competition which everybody was doing in the mid 2000 late aughts early teens I guess is where we were uh and it was called the Glee Project the Glee Project was like a sort of chorus line-esque reality show where 
a bunch of young um, teenage to early 20-something musical theater actors would compete to get a guest spot on Glee. And the winners ended up getting like season arcs um and and then even like the runners-up all kind of a lot of them ended up like having a song on glee oh and they were all extremely talented young people many of them have gone on to pretty good careers which is great uh alex newell was one of them um i forget the names of the others but they a lot of them did stuff so it was the rare reality competition and this is what happens when you have one that actually requires skill is it did breed some careers ellie stroker was in i can't think it was season two but i might be wrong and um you would recognize her instantly because she is one of the very few famous faces now who is in a wheelchair um she i believe has no use of her uh lower half and has nevertheless had a career in musical theater which is awesome she has an incredible voice she is a very good musical theater performer Uh, she was on an episode or two of glee um she's been on broadway she was in spring awakening and she won a tony last year for oklahoma which is really cool i like her i think she's bubbly she sort of has like a little young dolly parton energy about her that like i want to see somebody take advantage of so i thought ooh, she seems like a really good person to have in a christmas movie kind of like megan hilty last year uh which ended up being one of the better lifetime movies and she's just not that you it i don't know I don't know with this one. There's just nothing interesting going on. Has some other pedigrees to it that the more I dug in, I'm like, man, why wasn't this better? Directed by uh, Pat Keeley, who's done stuff, not really Christmas movies, but other stuff. Started as an actor. And then the writing team is really cool. Let me read you. The writing team is, it's a man and a woman, Katrina, Mathewson, and Tanner Bean. Let me read you their their IMDb profiles because they're pretty cool. Uh, Katrina Mathewson is a gay tattooed motorcyclist from the Pacific Northwest. Like, that's cool. And her writing partner. Um, Tanner Bean is a former Sunset Strip performing guitarist who worked closely with Dan Fogelman. So, you know, hey, cool sounding people I want to hang out with. Let's write a Christmas movie. Let's make it interesting. Or let's just make it kind of blah. So yeah, this one was kind of felt like a bit of a, a, a snooze for the finale. I, I like to get the wackier ones or a really good one, but nevertheless, we're going to get through it. We're going to persevere and then we'll talk about the, the wrap up. So let's dive in. Uh, the story, this focuses on Izzy, who is Ali Stroker. Izzy is a romance novelist, very successful one, lives in New York and every Christmas she drives to a town somewhere in I don't know. I mean, it's Canada, but it's not Canada. I don't know. It's somewhere magical. Uh, She drives there, stays at this little cute winter inn, um, celebrates Christmas, does very typical Christmas stuff. But this year, when she goes there, she sees the name has been changed, and it's under new ownership. It's under the ownership of the guy's son, who's now running it and wants to make some changes. And what do you know? The guy's son, who is named Matt, Matt is an incredibly handsome man who happens to look exactly like the uh, Fabio-esque cover artist for the books Izzy Wright. She writes a series of romance novels all starring a man named Desmond, and he is the spitting image of Desmond. And it turns out, of course he is, because his dead wife was the artist who drew the cover, and now he is a sad widow with a child, of course, um, 
sort of falling for Izzy, Izzy's falling for him, except there's like that token moment where she sees him looking at something and thinks, oh no, he's looking at somebody else. So she's going to go back. And then he, I guess, I honestly, I don't even remember. Uh, I, confession, I watched this movie about two weeks ago. And that's how much of it stuck in my mind. Uh, I can go through the details and some of those stood out, but I don't remember the resolution of this movie because there wasn't that much to it. So we're just going to, you get the point, right? No, no magical Santa Claus, no magical elves, nothing that exciting happening, but let's, let's dive in. Our lead in need of a lesson, Izzy. Uh, Izzy is, is my least favorite type of Christmas heroine. We've talked about the, the three types that you really get. You get the corporate career woman who's the best because she's awful and has to have her ha- her heart thawed. You get the um, really earnest, um, like ingenuish type who's going to change everybody around her. And then you get this third type that's kind of Izzy, which is just the, I love Christmas. Christmas is a pure tradition and everything should be Christmas. And I... Look, tradition's beautiful. If it's important to you, that's great. But it can be really annoying to the people that it's not important to if you just, no, you can't decorate cookies that way. That's wrong. It's not Christmas. No, we don't want to hear that. So, I mean, that's not even Izzy's problem. Izzy's real problem is that she's not, um, you know, she's single. Oh, God, that's a problem. Uh, But the problem is because she, like, because she's a writer and she writes perfect men, right? She writes romance novels, which are all going to be feeding into exactly what the presumed female audience wants. So the men are perfect and she just, you know, can't find a man like her, her book man until she finds the literal book man. The setting is, uh, we start in quote unquote New York City, which means lots of establishing shots of New York City. And then we move to a town called Silver Springs. Uh, And this is all set at a uh, Canadian resort um, called, you think I read, I I think it was called the Moose Inn. And uh, Izzy is very mad because she went, when she gets there, she realizes they have changed the name to the Moose Chalet. And again, to her, who's a traditionalist, that's just akin to, I don't know, Black Santa. Uh, It's annoying. The setting is cute enough. I don't know. It's pretty. It's Canadian. Soundstage. Whatever. Number three, bland love interest. Um, So Matt, uh, bonus points because he is a widowed dad. So we love that. Um, And he's like an inn owner. So he's doing a lot of manual labor. He's doing a lot of projects around the house. So I like that he fits exactly what we need. Uh, He's also really good looking. He's not my type. He's very skinny. Um, you know, he takes his shirt off at one point. He's, I mean, he's a handsome, his body's good. It's just not the body I like. But I will say, in terms of, like, attractiveness, um, he is near the top of the list. In ter- like, he just has a really beautiful face. He's got those, like, blue eyes, black hair kind of look. And I, I can fully admit, as a heterosexual woman, this man's face is incredibly attractive. Number four, the montage. We do get a few. We get a getting ready for cookie decorating montage, a putting the Christmas tree lights up montage, and the sad misinterpreted montage uh, wherein Desmond is looking at old pictures and Ali thinks that he's really sad and that, oh no, he still loves his dead wife and doesn't love me. Okay. Number five, our dead parents, dead wife. Um, This does another weird thing that a couple of the movies have done this year where it would have been really easy to give her dead parents, but instead it's like it opens and she's complaining about how her parents go to Florida for Christmas and she just thinks that's the worst. So I think the movie implies that she has cut her parents out of her life and refuses to spend the holidays with them because they go to a warm weather state for the holidays. Now, granted, 
in 2020, it would be very a very bad decision to go to Florida for Christmas. No offense if you're in Florida, but your state is not a good place to travel to right now with, you know, certain pandemic-related issues. Um, but it's not that. In this movie, it's just like, she doesn't want Beach Santa, so therefore she doesn't talk to her parents at Christmas, which is a really cunt move of a woman, if you ask me. But anyway, uh, his parent, his obviously his wife is dead. And bonus points, his dead wife is named Emily. So we always like to hear that. Um, as I said, that I don't know that I would like to hear that in reference to me. But you get you get the point. Uh, and as I say all of this, um, very similar plot in many ways to Christmas on Ice, which also had the dead wife play a very key role in what she had done in life in bringing together her widowed husband and new replacement stepmother you know and that was how we opened this season so as much as I didn't love this movie I do appreciate the cyclical uh you know begin with dead wife bringing together a new couple and with dead wife bringing together there's some poetry going on here I will say, now, now this is another case where I'm talking myself into being much more satisfied with this movie than I was initially. But we move on. Number six is our sassy sidekick, and we get to, uh, uh, not Ally Izzy, has a her editor slash best friend, which, and we get a line like, you're my most successful writer and my best friend. Um, her, I don't didn't write down the character's name, but she is only ever seen, this is another case where you can kind of say, okay, yeah, there, there's a COVID thing. She is always seen alone in her office on the phone with Izzy. So again, it's a responsible way of doing that and also a much cheaper way of doing this. And she does have earrings. She dresses very, very stylish too. Uh, and also Matt has a sister who owns the bakery, which means we get baking. And this is one of those rare cases where you look and you're like, oh, see, right. And life, Lifetime does do this a little better. Um, it's very casual. It's very slipped in. But when we meet bakery owner, whose wife, whose name I didn't write down, uh, Izzy is like, oh, hey, how's your wife? which is nice. Again, just gay couple in the middle of this movie, just there, existing. Wonderful. That's what we want to see. Doesn't make the movie that much better, but still gives it a little bit of a bonus point. Uh, number seven, our evil woman character or a boss character. Uh, we do get, we think it's going to be the editor, but no, the editor's all cool. But there's another woman in town who clearly has a crush on Desmond because he is very handsome. And she's like sort of trying to make a move on him. And Izzy thinks that she's competition. She's really not, but it's theirs. So there's something. Number eight is slapstick. And once again, following in the footsteps of Christmas on the Square, we get a lot of car accident related humor. Uh, that's how they meet cute is she almost hits him with her car. And that kind of keeps happening. Like it, it, there's this whole running joke of her being a bad driver, which I don't know. It seems really irresponsible in these movies. Number nine, sage old person. Um... So his dad is there, and his dad is sort of like your cuddly type guy. And I, I want to say he gives advice, but I don't remember, and I didn't write it down. And I again, this movie just went in and out the head, so I don't know. We're going to give it a half point, because points don't matter anyway, so who cares? And number 10 is our Santa Claus. And again, I don't know, couldn't this dude be Santa Claus? How did I get the entire season with with like one Santa Claus in a movie that was a Santa Claus movie. No surprise Santas this year. I am I am irate about that. 
bonus round. Uh, public domain holiday songs, yes. There's quite a few. Come all ye faithful. There is a wassailing song, but it's not the wassa- the only wassailing song that we all know. Uh, it's a song that Ellie Stroker sings, and she has a beautiful voice, so it's nice to hear her sing. But I assume it's public domain. I guess it's one of those like really like buried in a vault public domain songs that nobody realizes should be singable. Anyway, cloying, cock blocking child. Uh, no, he's got a daughter named Casey who is like into it. She is doing everything she can to make this happen. So we got we got a kid. We, she is not. She's the opposite of cock blocking. No ice skating. Uh, Canadianisms um, or signs that this was filmed when it was not cold. Yes, obviously it's not cold. They're all wearing very lightweight clothing for a Christmas in Canada that's not Canada, but is Canada because there's a great um, the dad at one point has the perfect Canadian delivery of there's a Christmas tree lighting competition and he says, okay, great, let's go check out the competition. They didn't even try. A uh, character with a Christmas-related name, surprisingly not, which seems like it would have been a given in a movie like this. However, Christmas tree lighting we do get. Um, this is also the second... No, okay. So this is the second angel that represents my dead mom movie. It's the third Christmas ornament that represents our dead family movie. So new running theme this might make the list next year is do the ornaments um serve as avatars for dead departed mothers um but yeah there's a big like christmas tree light or not christmas tree but christmas lighting competition and whoever's got the best lights is gonna win and it's kind of a plot thread and you think you're gonna get some really cool christmas lights and then they unveil the christmas lights and it's nice like i don't know it's like they put lights all around the house it looks nice should it win a competition it makes you really sad because you realize this big thing that everybody works really hard for in this small town and this is the the winning entry just kind of depresses me for seeing the rest of this town but thankfully i don't have to uh karaoke there is actually a sing-along to the wassailing song that i've never heard in my life but everybody knows words to sprinkle sound effect there is a lot of it um i also wrote down a lot of jing- jingle bellsing I'm sure that meant something, and I'm sure it made sense to me two weeks ago. So we're just going to continue. Uh, and a careful balance of red and green, again, kind of disappointingly not. You would think it'd be easy to do, but I, I don't know that we get much of it. And baking, yes, we're in a bakery. There's a cookie decorating event. Uh, finally, actors and ability to act with an empty coffee cup or pretend to eat. Uh, well, yes, um, I was, I'm happy to report that our love interest, in addition to a meet cute near car accident, which is becoming a thing, uh, he is also holding an incredibly light coffee cup. And then later they drink hot chocolate. And I did write drink in quotation marks. That was not just my delivery of the line. Uh, and there's like a moment where it gets on his mustache and it's just, okay, for this side, 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 sidebar, if you will. I know like movies always do this thing where it's like, oh, you have whipped cream on your on your nose or whipped cream on your mustache. Let me wipe it off. And it's supposed to be cute, but am I the only one that finds it gross? I don't know. I don't like your face is in any given day, right? Our faces build up a lot of sweat. Uh, this is why we wash our faces at the end of the day. This is why like, I don't know. And like granted, like you, you kiss somebody, but do you want to eat food off of somebody's face that has been exposed to the elements in a COVID world all day long? No, you don't. Uh, one other thing that I will say I do appreciate about this movie is that um, it does celebrate um, 
or rather open up the discussion that oatmeal cookies, oatmeal raisin cookies are like the worst cookie. And I know there are people out there that love them, but I just don't get it. If you're going to eat a cookie, why eat an oatmeal raisin cookie? Give me a real cookie. Don't give me something that's like half pretending to be a healthy breakfast food and is not because it's usually still involves a lot of butter and eggs. No, no, no. Give me that chocolate chip. Give me that peanut butter. Let's call it a day. So that was Christmas Ever After. I hit most of the beats. It And it wasn't offensive. I, re- I Again, there's things to really appreciate about the movie. It was apparently filmed responsibly, which is great. It features a lead in a wheelchair. It doesn't make a thing about it. It has a more diverse cast than you normally see for these kinds of movies. There's a bunch of little things that I appreciate. I just wish the movie was better. Or more entertaining, rather. It doesn't have to be good. You, you know, you want, you guys get it. You've listened to 14 of these so far. You understand. Uh, so now, closing one door, opening the next, which is just wrapping up the season. The way we do this is I run through the 10 parts of list, go through the best and worst of each one, and then kind of do a quick ranking of the movies I covered. So we covered 14 movies this year. They came from a mix of Lifetime, Netflix, Hulu... One was on Tubi. I don't know where it started, but it didn't. It ended there, of course. Um, yeah, good, good mix of stuff. Good variety of stuff. We went a little wackier this year than we normally do, and I am happy because I don't know that I could have taken another Christmas ever after. So, with that being said, we start with our lead in need of a lesson. Our favorite lead, our least favorite lead. Uh, kind of have a tie for my favorite lead because I think it's a tight race between Christian Stewart and Happiest Season and Amelia Clark in last Christmas and as I say that I kind of feel like it's a cheat because those were both theatrical movies that um, ended up in on TV for different reasons but I do appreciate both of them quite a bit I think they both give very different and very interesting um, complex performances in their respective movies but because I feel like we do need a um, representative from the more limited movies I'd say Cindy Busby in A Puppy for Christmas was actually very cute and managed to create a person within this normal genre where you don't have people and then for worst um I didn't you know I didn't hate anybody but I'm just going to continue to say Vanessa Hudgens can do better I know she can do better she has more in her and yet in the princess switch switched again she doesn't pull it all out so I'm going to say that uh, number two is our setting. So my favorite setting, I'm going to say it's the square in Christmas on the Square because it is just this ridiculous soundstage and I kind of loved it. And my worst setting, I'll go with the Christmas Chronicles because it's Santa's North Pole magic land and it's so CGI and bliss that it's, it becomes ugly as opposed to charming. Number three, our love interest. Uh, I'm going to say that my favorite would be Henry Golding in Last Christmas because he is uh, incredibly charming and watchable and a ghost. Uh, But again, if I need to do a runner-up for the um, non-top tier, then I would probably put Gabby from A New York Christmas Wedding. Because I, aside from like, oh, it's cool, we have lesbians in a Christmas movie, I think she... And aside from the surprise wedding, which I don't think any woman should do to anybody or any man should do to anybody or any cat should do. No, no, no. Just don't do surprise weddings in general. But I liked her sass and I thought there was a real relationship there. But the worst um, love interest, easily the dude in A Christmas Angel, 
which uh, and this dude was also in a Golden Christmas Part 2 and shows up in like a dozen of these movies. He was the, if you remember, um, I think uh, Amy best described him as the not Chandler Bing guy. So him. Our favorite montage, I'll go with the uh, falling in love montage from the 12 Pups of Christmas because it was it was the herpes commercial just perfectly like I feel like that director then kept, like put different music to it and sold it as a herpes commercial uh, and our least favorite montage uh, a magic Christmas which is the um, the Campbell Scott not the Campbell Scott why do I always do that I mean, see Thomas Howell, Campbell Scott, real it's six and one, one half, right? Same. No, they're they're to, two totally different people. I don't know why I make that mistake, but anyway, um, the movie he was in has a montage towards the end where they're looking for a magical Christmas tree, and there's a really weird, um, uh, lazy indigenous person joke that I'm just gonna say merits the worst uh, distinction. Our favorite dead parents, uh, oh, happiest season, it's got to be because of all the wonderful jokes about um, Kristen Stewart being an orphan are just delightful. Uh, an honorable mention goes to A Puppy for Christmas, where we don't have dead parents, but we have a racist stepfather. That's just such a weird throwaway line that I'll never forget. Our um, least favorite dead parents would be the lack of explanation of where parents are, because there's so many that they just don't mention it and it's weird because it's it's like the writer of 12 Pups of Christmas and Holiday and Christmas Angel have never seen a Christmas movie and can't therefore just have a quick throwaway line of yeah Christmas used to be fun when dad was alive you know it, it's like you haven't studied your craft when you don't put that line in there now next is the sassy sidekick this was the year of the sassy sidekick. I'm going to say this was hard and I don't, I, I'm, I'm not going to have a winner. I have like seven winners because the best parts of these movies this year were our sassy sidekicks. We had a gay guardian hipster angel from a New York Christmas wedding. We had uh, the variety of horny sisters in puppy movies, a puppy for Christmas and 12 pups of Christmas both had sisters that clearly had agendas and I was here for it. Uh, you had Jane and Dan Levy. You had Mary Holland and Dan Levy from Happiest Season, who were both delightful and just elevated those movies. And you had motherfucking Jennifer Lewis in Dolly Parton's Christmas on the Square. I'm not going to pick. I'm just going to say they all, they're all winners. It's Christmas. Everybody's a winner. Uh, our least worst sassy sidekick, I got to say, when you when the credits roll and I see and Burt Reynolds as Buster... I'm expecting a little more from a, a dog car, a talking dog in a Christmas movie than Burt Reynolds clearly being held at gunpoint and, and reading his lines and them just overplaying it of the dog and, the, and nobody can even hear the dog talking like Burt Reynolds. So obviously that. Our favorite evil woman character. Uh, I'm going to go, oh, this was tough. I actually had a tie. So on one hand, I really liked how terrible the mother was in Santa Jaws. Like she was just the worst in every possible way. Don't ever be, a, if you're a mother and you're looking for, I don't know, like some kind of help of what to do, what not to do, watch Santa Jaws and say, I will not do that. And tied with her, of course, don't think I forgot about the really, really angry receptionist in A Christmas Angel who just hated our lead so much that she gave her an attitude that like, I don't know, I, I don't believe in hell, but if I did, I would say her 
response to this poor young woman just looking for a job, I would say, like, no, no, you don't talk to people like that. You're going to hell based on how you talk to this woman this one time in your life. I loved her. I still want a movie about her. And our worst, uh, I, I don't know. I still feel like Vanessa Hudgens can do better. I don't mean to just slam her. She had, she had enough of that this year for saying some very stupid things that she deserved to be slammed for. But her as Fiona, she's the best part of the movie, but she still could be better. I don't know. I, I want a pull out, pull more. Because I just think to myself, if Ashley Tisdale was in that role, it would have been so much more enjoyable. Uh, slapstick. This year, surprisingly, we had some really good slapstick. The, some of that, those physical gags and happiest season made me laugh out loud, and that does not normally happen. Uh, and then the worst slapstick, I got to go with uh, Christmas on a Square's many car accident jokes. Because it wasn't enough that we just had a lot of near hit and misses. We also then had a character get into a car accident and almost die after we found out her mother had died in a car accident. And the movie didn't seem to ever make a connection of maybe we shouldn't make so many jokes about car accidents. Moving on, uh, Sage Old People, which I will say, as much as this was the year of the sassy sidekick, it was the opposite year of the Sage Old Person. We just didn't have them this year. We had very few. Still, we had two great ones. Um, if we put Dolly Parton here from Christmas on the Square, obviously she's going to automatically get it. But the other one, in a movie that was kind of terrible, Christmas Angels Bruce Davison, he's so good in it. He really has a presence that is kind and warm, and he blessed that man. He ate every bit of chili on his plate. And when he was not in that movie, it was one of the most insufferable things to sit through. Whereas when he was on screen, I was happy. And I think that tells you a lot. Uh, our worst sage old person, it, we had so few that we didn't have any terrible ones, but I'm going to say Helen in A Puppy for Christmas who isn't is more a sassy sidekick, but is introduced as a sage old person. And she's giving advice, and the advice is, have a baby uh, to keep your man, or, or get a puppy. And that's just, don't, don't listen to that. So in terms of like actual responsibility, she's the worst sage old person. And last, Santa. I, I don't, I feel like this is kind of, so I don't know how much you know about this, but the Tony Awards this year, are doing, they're, they're having Tony Awards, even though um, not many shows got to run very long. And because very few things actually played on Broadway this year, basically if you, um, everybody that, that was on Broadway got, got nominated. Yet somehow, um, because I guess there were very few uh, shows that had a strong male lead, there was only one uh, actor eligible for best actor, best leading actor in a musical. And that is the, I don't know, remember his name, but it's the guy in Moulin Rouge, the musical. He was, the actor was also in the Les Mis movie. He was in Jalrus. And it, the only Broadway show I got to see all year was Moulin Rouge. And you know what the worst part of it was? That guy. But yet that guy gets to get nominated for best actor and probably win a Tony just because there was no competition. Now, Having said that, that does not mean that Kurt Russell does not deserve to be best Santa. It's just that he's really the only Santa. I could kind of throw Michelle Yao here, too, because she plays a character named Santa, and she's awesome. But there are only Santas in all of these movies, and that makes me very angry. So the worst is our complete lack of Santa. <sighs> it was a rough year, guys. 2020 was pretty rough. And with that, it wraps up the best worst so now we go into ranking the movies these 14 movies that i covered 
uh, from bottom to top, number 14. And I wrote down the numbers, so hopefully I'll keep, anybody that listens knows my, I'm not very good at following those, but I think we'll get it. So number 14, um, good old Tubies, A Magic Christmas. This was the, I'm going to do it again. I was about to say Campbell Scott. It's not Campbell Scott. It's C. Thomas Howell. C. Thomas Howell and Jonathan Silverman and the voice of Burt Reynolds. In a Christmas movie that was just ugly, and it's called A Magic Christmas, but there's not magic until the last three minutes, and I don't know. Having said that, I will watch the sequel next year, which is also on Tubi right now, and uh, replaces Burt Reynolds for John Voight. So in my mind, there's a deliverance connection that I'm going to make. I'll get there. Give me a year. We'll, we'll talk We'll talk in 2021. It is 2021. We'll talk at the end of 2021 is what I mean. Number 13, I'll say Christmas Angel, which was streaming on Amazon Prime. I covered that one with Amy. One of my favorite episodes by far, but one of the least um, good movies. It was just ugly and drab and the lead didn't have any charm. So it, it and it had a dog and yet didn't have enough dog. So just kind of not one that I would tell anybody to watch. Number 12, I'm going to go with Christmas Ever After. Um, again, there's things I respect about it, or about it, I should say, but it's just, yeah, it just, it, I don't know, it's the equivalent of somebody making you a meal, and they put some work into it, and you know, like, it's not the greatest thing, but you're still not going to be rude and say it's not good, so you eat it, and you're like, okay, I'm going to go get, uh, I don't know, I'm going to go eat something else after, kind of how I felt about this one. Number 11, uh, I'm going to say The Princess Switch 2, switched again. It's fine. It's pretty. It's very good to look at. The costumes are very nice. But I don't know. It just lacks something. I'm going to forget everything about this movie by the time they make A Princess Switch 3. And I'm still going to probably emerge from that and say, why doesn't Vanessa Hudgens push harder? Number 10. Number 10. Uh, Christmas Chronicles 2. The more I've thought about it, the more I'm kind of thinking it's so lacking in charm when it could have so much. Again, Kurt Russell is a joy. Goldie Hawn's lovely in it. But the kids are kind of... You know, in the first movie, the kids were really charming. In this one, they're kind of awful. It's CGI, that's fine, but it's so much and... It, it's just kind of ugly. I don't know. It, it's so expensive. I think that's the other thing, because you look at movies on this list that were made for, you know, one thirty-second the budget of this movie, probably, and they managed to do something, and this one just didn't do anything for me. So I don't know if I want them to make more. They probably will, but if they do, I just... I don't know. I hope they find something that isn't just uh, uninspired visuals, if you will. Number nine, Christmas on Ice, which was the first one I covered, which was fine. Um, it had ice skating, so it was, you know, it was a little better than maybe it probably is in my estimation, but just didn't leave me with that much. Uh, number eight, I'm going to say a New York Christmas wedding, which was just so wacky in so many ways. I hope everybody listened to the interview uh, we did with Toje Abbott. It was such a joy to have that conversation we learned a lot um and it's one where i think that certainly gives me more appreciation for the movie but even without that it's a really good time um there's weird things going on in it it's trying to do stuff it crosses lines that other movies eventually did but it did it before them uh and it's also goofy and weird and all those things so yeah number eight so as you can see like I feel like that's kind of the line of where it goes from 
that to enjoyable and recommending. So it's really from from nine to eight. So which is good. It means I had eight movies that I did genuinely enjoy this year. So number seven is A Puppy for Christmas, which is just much better than it should be for a lot of different reasons. Uh, so this is the one, the last episode, towards the end, which is great too, because it's, as you can tell from this episode probably, you get a little worn out by the same things. And this one had a couple of other little weird touches that bumped it up a bit. And had really a charming lead, um, a really nice romance at the center of it. Again, this is the one that's directed by Justin Dyke, who also did Anything for Jackson on Shudder that everybody's raving about. And this one just felt like it had a better script. It had a little bit more fun and personality with itself than a lot of the other ones. That takes us to number six, which is Holiday, the one on Netflix with Emma Roberts. Um, funny, you know, again, not so much a Christmas movie, which is why maybe, again, I feel like it skirts a few rules, but it's it's genuinely funny. It, it made both Christine and I laugh quite a bit. Number five, I'll say Santa Jaws, which, again, way more enjoyable than any movie called Santa Jaws should be. Very recommended. Um, probably a good for those of you who, like, I don't know, maybe have, like, teenagers or want something that's fun, uh, in the horror Christmas vein, this is kind of like a perfect combination and a good addition to the horror Christmas canon, if you will. Number four, I'm going to say Last Christmas, which again, cheat, theatrical movie, but come on, it is it is such a cozy cardigan Christmas movie in so many other ways. Uh, complicated movie, flawed movie, not perfect in any way, but had a lot. The more I've thought about it, the more I've come to really appreciate it. Number three, now this is not the third best movie on this list. This is my enjoyment list. This is not the quality of film list. Because if that was the case, then 12 Hoops of Christmas would probably be more towards like 10, 11. But by golly, what a wacky, weird thing of a movie this was. Because when you watch it, having watched these movies, and you start to question and listen closely, you're going to see the weirdest edgiest Christmas movie you have seen in some time. Uh, that takes us to number two, probably not a surprise, Happiest Season. Again, a genuinely good movie that happened to fall into the category of TV Christmas movies, even though it's not. Um, but just wonderful to see. Important representation, but also a fun movie with that has things to say and to explore, and I really enjoyed it. And last, of course, folks, that takes us to number one. And you're sitting here thinking... Those of you who, I don't know, if, if you actually remember this, might remember last year's number, whatever last place was. I don't remember how many movies I did. The last place without question was uh, Christmas at Dollywood because it was terrible and disappointing. So as much as I can complain about 2020, I will say I appreciate that I bumped Dolly Parton back up to the top because there is no way Christmas on the Square does not take my number one spot. I have watched it three times this year. Now, not like sat down and watched it. Like I've had it on in the background while doing things. I've maybe gone somewhere where somebody was like, oh, I don't really, I'm just going to put the TV on. I don't care what's on. Okay, how about I put this movie on? 12 Christmas on the Square. Dolly Parton's in it. It's really good. I know it's not really good, but it's everything I want from a Dolly Parton Christmas musical that sort of It's a Wonderful Life meets a Christmas Carol meets a, you know, Dollywood stage show with a lot of Debbie Allen choreography, so much Debbie Allen choreography. Yeah, I had such a good time with it. It was a joy. And I, 
can't say it's for everyone, but it's if you have ever thought to yourself, I'd really love to see a Dollywood Christmas show as a movie, then it's here. It's everything you've ever wanted. Uh, so with that being said, we wrap up 2020 in 2021. Thank you, as always, for taking this weird sleigh ride, if you will, with me. Uh, I Again, I had debated this year with the more these movies become kind of... Um, I don't know. I don't know. So like the bingo card joke becomes the thing that everybody gets. There are times when I think, do I still, should I still do these? Like, do people, I don't know, does everybody know about this now? But then I watch these movies and I bring on guests and I had such a wonderful group of people come on the show. I am so grateful to every one of them. And I hope you check out all the various things they do because many of them have their own podcasts, their own, uh, you know, films they're working on, their own blogs they're doing, all of that stuff. And it was so much fun to talk to them about these movies. Uh, And it's fun to watch them. It's even the bad ones most of the time. When, I think this is true of anything, when you sit down to take in some form of art, whether that's a a book or a magazine or a, a movie, and if you give yourself a kind of rule book to watch with, Sometimes it just unlocks different things. And that's what I really like to do with the stocking stuffers is look at these things that are made to be disposable, right? With rare exception, um, these are not meant to be movies that we remember 20 years from now. And yet when you kind of start applying a certain filter to them, they just become more interesting to me. So I hope you enjoyed them. Um, We will be back very soon. Christine will be here. We're going to have a ton of guest stars this year. A lot of the people you heard in Stocking Stuffers will bring on back. A lot of the people you didn't. And if you're out there again and want to come chat with me and Christine, let us know. We're here for you. We want to talk. We want people to hear us talking because... I don't know. That's just something that we think is fun to do. So happy new year, everybody stay safe and you will hear more voices very soon. One minute to midnight, one minute to go, one minute to say goodbye before we say Let's start the new year right Twelve o'clock tonight When they dim the light Let's begin Kissing the old year out Kissing the new year in Let's watch the old year die With a fond goodbye And our hopes as high as a kite How can our love go wrong If we start the new year right?